my Mother's Day gift to you, the shortest sermon of the year. Everybody ready? Bill Lilly, you're sitting there like, yeah, he always says that. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about portraits of motherhood. You probably know it was Woodrow Wilson in 1914 who declared the second Sunday in May as a national holiday. It's the first president to declare it, and we've been celebrating it ever since. But it actually started before that, nine years earlier, when a lady by the name of Anna Jarvis, who had been campaigning for a day to honor mothers because of her love for her mother. And in 1905, her mother passed away on the second Sunday in May. Later, she would become irritated with the way that it had been so commercialized. Hallmark got in, and you know the rest of the story, but here we still are celebrating it. Mothers have a special brand of love. You ever heard anybody say, he has a face only a mother could love? <laughs> it's not a compliment to the son, but it is to the mother's ability to love. Moms deal with children who at four years old say, my mom can do anything. And at 12 years old, they say, my mom doesn't know everything. And at 14, they say, my mom doesn't know anything. And at 18, they say, mom is so out of touch with the time, she's in fact backwards. And at 25, they say, well, mom knows a few things. And then at 35, they say, hey, before we decide, let's see what mom thinks. And at 45, they say, I wonder what mom would say about this. And at 65, or in my case, they say, I wish I could hear mom say something. You know, it's not until your children are grown up and become parents themselves when they fully appreciate what it is to be a mother or a father. But in this case, we honor mothers today. There was a lady pushing her cart and her angry, irritated, tired toddler through Walmart. And she was screaming, crying the whole way. And the mom said, it's okay, Ellen. It's going to be all right, Ellen. Calm down, Ellen. It's almost time to go home, Ellen, to which the Walmart store clerk said, Ma'am, you are to be commended for such loving patience towards your little Ellen. And the mom said, I am Ellen. <laughs> Having children is... A chore. We had seven. I say we. We had, Candace had seven. But I did have to go home every night after she gave birth and take care of all the other kids. It's actually the reason we stopped having children. She got so concerned about two nights alone with dad. And so we stopped. 
four portraits and there are many in the Bible, but the first one I want to look at, the first two are quite comical yet, so real, and you have to love God's word and how real it is and the human side and how it exposes even the great characters in the Bible. And the first character I want to look at, the Bible doesn't even mention her name, but we know her name. In Matthew's gospel, she's called the mother of the sons of Zebedee. How bad is that? Could you not just say, Salome? You got to call me the mother of his children. Matthew chapter 20 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, came to Jesus, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, would you grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom? But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. I love this. I think she's gotten a bad rap because we quickly jump to she's kind of the helicopter mom. She's that overzealous soccer mom who's trying to go ahead. But I think if you back away and you look at the story, you know, she's watched the impact Jesus has had on her boys. She is not saying, hey, could my boys get special treatment? It's a mom saying, I want my children, my boys, to be as close to you as they possibly can. It's a mom seeing unbelievable potential in their sons. And that's what moms do. They see things that nobody else sees. They believe things that aren't even true. And then they come true. If you could buy me for what I'm worth and sell me for what my mom thought I was worth, we could all retire. Can I get a witness on the front row? <laughs> Moms think the very best. of. They see they're like God in that they, they see the very best. And it's incredible to have a mother who can call that out and pray that out of you. In this first portrait, the lesson for us is Moms will ask anyone for anything if they think it could help their children maximize their potential. And they should. The second portrait I want us to look at is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, you know this story. It's such a human side to the earthly mother of our Savior, Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says, Now his parents, this is a big holiday they're in Jerusalem for the Passover now his parents Jesus went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when Jesus was 12 years old they went up according to custom and when the feast was ended as they were returning the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem his parents did not know it but supposing him to be in the group they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him who? Jesus. Among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, you think? And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? This is a scolding. And she gets all King James on him. Behold, you're saying behold to the Savior, the Messiah. Your father and I have been searching for you. And here's the greatest understatement in all of the New Testament. In great distress. Mom, you ever had a bad day? We've had a few at our house. One time we pulled up to a restaurant in Banks. Our 23-year-old was in the back seat, in his car seat. And it was after church. And I pulled up to let Candace and all the other kids out. And she said, hey, don't forget, you've got Banks. I parked, went into the restaurant, sat down. And she said, where's Banks? Said he's in the car where you left him. You, you told me, don't forget Banks is in the car. I haven't forgotten. I know exactly where he is. One morning, Candace is looking over, and it actually happens to be Stone, son, child number five. And she says to him, Luke, do you know how much I love you? They're sitting at the breakfast island together. And Stone is kind of chill, and he goes, I'm Stone. <laughs> We've had all kinds of such crazy situations at our house. This is a true story. I had preached. It was Sunday afternoon. We left church and got home. And the children's pastor called and said, we still have one of your children. <laughs> and I was feeling froggy. I said, which one is it? We were trying to decide if we were going to go back and pick them up. <laughs> Why is this story in the Bible? It's in the, it's in the Bible for two reasons. Number one is, listen, it's easy to lose Jesus when you think he's still with you. He's where he's supposed to be, in the house of the Lord. But oftentimes, we leave him. There's a whole nother sermon in that one. The second reason it's in the Bible it is to help moms chill out and remember even the highly favored one, the one whom the Holy Spirit will overshadow, has her bad days. And so you can take a deep breath. And the lesson for us in portrait number two is this. More than likely, you have not ever been as irresponsible with your children as Mary was with Jesus. Can you just say, I receive that right now? The third portrait is another great message to us on Mother's Day comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it's, it's Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice. And this, please hear me. There's somebody, there's more than one somebody here this morning. You need to hear this. It's the grandmother and the mother of St. Timothy, the young understudy of the Apostle Paul. 
that Paul poured into him and said many of the great verses that we've come to memorize and know. Paul said them and spoke them over his life. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, the B part of verse 4 says, Paul says in the Passion Translation, Timothy, I'm, I'm filled with joy as I, as I think of your strong faith. Some translations say your sincere faith that was passed down through your family line. It began with your grandmother, Lois, who passed it on to your mother, your dear mother, Eunice. And it's clear that you too are following in the footsteps of their godly example. Later in the same book, Paul says this to, to Timothy as he refers to how he was raised. Catch this. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how even, listen to me moms, even from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, there's a lot that is going on behind the scenes here in this family connection of these three generations. First of all, Acts chapter 16 tells us that Timothy's mother was a Jew, a believing disciple of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 16 it says, but she was married to a Greek. And Paul, even before he brings Timothy into his ministry circle, and they, before they go on the road, the scripture teaches us that he had to circumcise him because the Jews would not receive Timothy because he was coming from a blended family. And it's powerful to think. And you go, what's the obvious question is, what about his grandfather or his father? It's, all, it's as much like with Jesus after he was 12 years old. We don't see Joseph anymore. We don't, see, we don't know what happened to him. He could have passed on. He could have lost his life. We don't know, but we know he, we don't see him involved. He's not, he does nothing that's worthy of being in Scripture. And then here for Timothy, we see his grandmother and his mother are referred to as the ones who have bequeathed to him a sincere faith, a strong faith. If we've ever been in a day where we need to give our children a sincere, strong faith, you know like I do, we're in that day. And let me tell you something, moms, who don't have a dad engaged spiritually. Single moms, moms who may still be married, whose husband doesn't help shoulder the load so much. There is hope. God is still, it may not be the best case scenario. You may have some regrets. You may wish you could go back and do such and such. But here we see a leading character in the New Testament church who begins to be part of scripture. And Paul says, you are here in this position because of what your grandmother gave to your mother and your mother gave to you. And I see the same DNA in you that we spoke about in your grandmother 
And the lesson is this, with or without a godly husband, it is possible to raise children who will make a huge impact for the kingdom. I, would, I want to pause right here because this is, we've, we've got to receive this. Now, I, we know ideally, yes, mom and dad are engaged. We talk a lot in men's ministry around here. You've got to be engaged. But even when they're not, how many of you know God is a gracious, merciful, loving, tender father who cares and still answers prayer? Are y'all out there this morning? Fourthly and finally, you're going, yeah, it's the last point, but it's a 45-minute point. <laughs> it's not. But this is a rhema for us on Mother's Day. I don't want to get all hallmark on everything. There are messages in these portraits, and this is a powerful one. And it's from 1 Samuel. It's the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Everybody, please listen to me. 1 Samuel is a book of three great men. Samuel the prophet, Saul, who would be the first king of, of Israel, who would be appointed, selected by Samuel, and then David, again Samuel, as the prophet, would appoint the second king to replace Saul. And so the book is all about these three impact men, but it starts with a woman who is barren, infertile. She has a husband named Elkanah, and he has another wife. And the reason he probably has another wife is because the one he loved, Hannah, couldn't have children. And in Hebrew custom, if a woman couldn't bring forth children after 10 years of being married, they had the right to divorce. And because he loved her, he probably didn't divorce her, but he just added someone else. And if you read those early verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1, it describes her, Penina, and it says she had many children, but Hannah had none. And you've got to see this picture of this infertile woman who wants to be a mother who has no children, barren, infertile. Not only that, but she had a rival, her husband's other wife. And let me just pause and say, you go, wow, in the Old Testament, God let them have all kinds of wives. He did, but he never blessed it, and it never turned out well, ever. So don't think that that can somehow jump and be translated to where we can do that here. Can I get a witness? But you have to say that in these days. Y'all know what I'm saying. So she's got a rival who the scripture says provoked her until she would weep and lose her appetite. She was emotionally distraught. And she had a proud husband who said stupid stuff like this. Honey, why are you so upset? Why won't you eat? Am I not better than 10 sons? How many of you men have learned that's not a fruit of the spirit right there. <laughs> this is what she's dealing with. This, that's a true story. It actually happened. 
She's got problems that are, listen, drawing her to a place of passionate prayer. There's a lot of women like her in the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament as well. Think about this. The father of the faith is married to Sarah, who can't bring forth children. Her son marries someone named Rebecca, who can't bring forth children. Whose son, Jacob, marries another girl who can't bring forth children. Think about that. This is God saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to make you as numerous as the stars are. And we start with three women who are infertile, who cannot have children. And God does the miraculous. And you can see Ruth in the New Testament, Elizabeth, who brings forth John the Baptist in her old age. Sometimes our great problems are the seeds for great things, great breakthrough. She's infertile, harassed by one of her girlfriends. She calls her own situation an affliction. Her nation is in trouble also. Her nation is in a desperate situation. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. But I want you to, I want you to get this and see the parallels for where we are in our nation. In verse 10, she's in deep anguish and she prays. And the Bible says she was weeping bitterly. In verse 11, she makes a vow and she says to God, God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And then she makes the Nazarite vow. We will never cut his hair and alcohol will never touch his lips. And then in verse 12 through 14, she prays so passionately that the priest accused her of being drunk. Have anybody, you ever prayed and you thank God you're in a private location? Anybody, have you ever prayed for breakthrough. Anybody know the power of praying until things are birthed, things are conceived? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the kind of praying that we need to be doing in this hour. These now I lay me down to sleep prayers, we've gotta move beyond that comfort zone of what other people are thinking about me and we've gotta pray passionate prayers that birth things. In verse 15 she says, I'm not drunk. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I, am, I have not been drinking. I have been praying here out of my anguish and grief. In verse 17, Eli, the priest says then, may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And in this same chapter, verse 20, says, so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. You read on in there, it says that she went away no longer sad. If you're here this morning, I pray that we could reach a place in ministry, in, in you being able to receive from the Holy Spirit 
his word, his power, his presence, his comfort. Have you ever prayed like she prayed and you're like, nothing changed, but I feel like it did. That was a, that's either a yes or no. And have you ever prayed or you, you, you're like, the burden lifted. I don't have any evidence of anything, but I do believe something has shifted. This is what she felt. And when she left, in the same chapter that we see her desperate situation, we see God give her a baby. Now, what's the lesson? Before I share the lesson, I want you to know this. In our English Bible, we have the book Judges, and then Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. But in the Hebrew Bible, we've got it actually out of chronological order. It's Judges, then 1 Samuel. And so you need to know, this, the setting of this is the book of Judges. How many of you know the book of Judges is not a good era for the people of God? That's why they have Judges. We can't trust a priest. We can't trust a prophet. We got to have some politician come in here and try to run this thing. How many of you know that seldom works? Oh, y'all got all politically correct because you got your Mother's Day bow tie on. And the book of Judges ends and it says this, there was no king and so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It, they're, immorally, they're, they're morally bankrupt. They're far from God. It's one of the coldest eras ever for the people of God throughout all of scripture. And here we have, 1 Samuel opens up and we've got a barren woman who's being provoked with an egotistical husband who's insensitive and does not have a way with words and she casts herself to God in prayer. And God gives her a baby, not just any baby, it's Samuel the prophet who would work in a crooked priest, Eli, in that temple, when Eli, if you read it on, when Eli, the priest who should be hearing the word of the Lord, didn't have ears to hear. It's Samuel when he's a little boy. He goes two, three times in the middle of the night. He hears the word of the Lord speak to him. And he goes in to say, here I am, Eli. And Eli goes, I didn't call you. He goes back to bed. You know the story. It, there's so much beautiful stuff right here to teach and to preach. And you're going, but please don't. Save it for next week. I'm going to save some of it. But I, I, I want to, because here we are. Are you not amazed at how crazy our world is? How messed up our nation seems to be? And God keeps bringing us to stories. Would it be? that one or two of these children, all we need is just one, could be raised in a church that says, in our anguish, in our concern, in our lack of fruit, in our barrenness, oh God, would you raise up a prophet with an anointing? Would you raise up 
some miracle workers? Would you raise up some evangelists, some missionaries who take you at your word? Could you raise up somebody to change the course of this nation? Come on. I know y'all know this, but you're looking at a pastor who believes that's our job. This is why we pray on Tuesday nights. This is why we pray on Saturday mornings and other times throughout the week. May we, uh-oh, did I, I don't think I read the lesson. Can you pull that up, Tracy? The lesson from this portrait number four. God couldn't, is that the lesson? That's a Jewish proverb right there. God couldn't be everywhere, so he created mothers. What is the lesson then from Samuel? When broken, infertile, fruitless people get desperate in prayer, anything is possible. Come on. We praise you, Lord. Do you believe that? Are you clapping because you believe that? Or are you clapping because I've shut my iPad? In the name of Jesus, as we bring this teaching to a close, I just I really want to speak over every mother. I was in Fort Lauderdale Tuesday. I flew down and back the same day. My friend pastored a great church in Cooper City in Miami, passed away at 51 years old. It's a crazy situation. A lot of people are passing away that you're like, they're too young to be passing away. Spent time with a bunch of pastor friends, flew down with Scott Shepherd. Many of you know was on staff here at this church. And he said to me as we were just reflecting on all the loss, he said, Chuck, I've never heard in all my years anyone pray like your mother. In early, or it's actually late January, the last thing my mother said to me is they were getting ready to put her on the ventilator. And I, I, I knew where we were. And the sweet ladies in the ER over at Emory Johns Creek had told us, you need to tell her to not talk. She needs to save her oxygen. You ever tried to tell a Hannah? Mom. And the last words I had to tell her, she go, I said, Mom, I love you. And she said it in this exact tone of voice. It's frozen on my hard drive. I'll never forget it. She said, Chuck, I love you. And when we hung up, Candace had to hold me up. I'm here today. I know without a doubt the prayers of my grandmother, Bessie Sue McCraw, and my mother, Rita Sue McCraw Ramsey.
Most of us in here, our fathers played a role. Yes, they did, and I'm thankful for it. I had a good one. But many of us are here because moms are in touch spiritually more reflexively than fathers, men are. I want to encourage and challenge you moms. Keep praying. When it looks like, oh, when it looks like the more I pray, the further away they seem to get from you, God. Don't stop praying. When you've got a million reasons to stop, when the enemy is bombarding you, one more time, one more relapse, one more trip to the bondsman, don't stop praying. Are you hearing me? Don't stop praying ever, because we serve the God of the impossible. And you mothers, I just, if I could, I would like to bequeath or anoint you with a fresh 2021 USA craziest season in our lifetime with an anointing of Hannah. That you could pray prayers and birth Samuels that say, you know what the word, the name Samuel means? God hears. You know what the female version of that is? Eliana. A year, almost two years ago, our daughter gave us a little Eliana, and that means God hears and responds. How many of you will say it? I am a carrier of a faith that births prayers that are named Samuel. Now, I'm not saying you're getting pregnant or that you have to be open to it. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. How many of you will be some of those kind of women in this era in our nation? You know what? You know how many churches it took at the end of Judges when no king was leading effectively? When the house of God was empty? You know how many churches? None. You know how many temples it took for God to turn that thing around? None. It took one barren woman who was being mistreated, who had never birthed the baby, and she begged God, God, if you answer this prayer and you give me a baby boy, I will give him right back to you. And what did she do? As soon as she could wean him, she took him. He probably had five years with her and the weaning process then was a little older. And she took him as a little boy into the temple. Anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? I want you to just envision your dream prayer being answered right now in the name of Jesus. The dream vision over your family, your marriage, your house. I want you to envision that. I want you to envision grandchildren that make you so spiritually proud you can hardly stand it. You know what you need to do? What Lois and Eunice did. Make sure you're teaching them the scripture at early ages. Can I get a witness? All right. That's all I got. How about this? Mark it down. 
We're getting ready to dismiss church or almost dismiss church at 1128. How many of you now, you do believe God is a God of miracles? Come on, stand to your feet. We're gonna speak this over our church, over our families, and then I'm gonna let you go. Let's say what our children said. And this is right out of Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. How many of you know he said, he will be faithful to a thousand generations. Y'all know that? You believe it? Come on, let's sing it. and keep you make his face shine upon be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace let's sing the Lord bless you again the Lord bless you
make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance up. May you see it. And then you will have peace. Come on, say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Y'all have a great afternoon and a happy Mother's Day. We love you all.